Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, Dr. Andre Shashomi, the uh, pr- professor of uh, uh, medieval and early modern history at the University of Pech in Budapest, Hungary, the author of many, many articles uh, in Hungarian and in English on the, uh, early modern Russia, medieval Russia. We'll talk about that those definitions in a second. His book, uh, issued from Academic Studies Press, uh, part of their Russian Thought in Context series. Academic Studies Press is extraordinarily productive in uh, particularly earlier areas of Russian history that are somewhat neglected. His book is Russian Notions of Power and State in a European Perspective, 1462 to 1725, assessing the significance of Peter's reign. And what we were just discussing a little bit, you know, just to reiterate, was this extremely rich comparative aspect of absolutism that he brings into the book. And I, and as I noted uh, to, to him, you know, in, in the U.S. in particular, but I think, you know, in lo- many parts of the world, the earlier period of Russian history is neglected. I remember going, by the way, Andre, to a meeting once of, of, of an early Slavic association at one of the conferences where people were discussing the dearth of jobs and courses. So I'm, it's very pleasing to see, to hear and see that in your university, this, the students are exposed to this, to, you know, that comparative perspective, which they often lose. And they often get a heavy focus on the Soviet experience, because one of the things that I'll find that I think is very rich and you include this in your epilogue, but I'll get to that, is that, you know, and you, because you, you, you make implications about the present day, or even the uh, present day situation in Russia up to 2020 or so, is that without understanding the earlier perspective or understanding the earlier history, one often gets, one focuses too heavily on the Soviet experience as influencing everything. And this, and in your book, you get, this earlier experiences and how it might have shaped present day Russian conditions. And what I would like to start with our first question, which which would be, uh, you know, and this is sort of reiterating what we just started to talk about, you know, what is the, you know, what are the aims of your book? What are some of the main arguments? And what I would like to refer to uh, clearly is, in, in, in your introduction, you note this, uh, in Russia, an in important, although incomplete shift, this is on page five, of ruling power from notions of personalized power toward an abstract notion of power and state accelerated around 1700. That is when the modern concept of state and sovereignty came to influence Russian thought on power. Before making some general remarks, I think it is important to state here clearly that the subject of this book is the notions of power and state in Russia and not the reality of the state as a force of institution. So essentially, when you introduce the book in that manner, what is the big what are those big questions that you hope to answer 
in the book? Um, okay, so um, uh, first of all, if I should uh, uh, summarize uh, uh, the differences and, uh, and the whole uh, the concept of the book, I would uh, say, first of all, that, uh, as you mentioned, the highly personalized uh, perception of power, which was a characteristic uh, uh, not only of the, the Moscovite uh, uh, period, and then I would speak about uh, the, the peculiarity of uh, Moscovite ideology uh, a little bit in uh, details, Mm -hmm. So uh, the power is associated with the person wielding it. Uh, one very um, eloquent example of this, that uh, in the Muscovite era, uh, uh, the, the, biblical, uh, the biblical sentence uh, of, uh, in, from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, that there is no power but of God, uh, was even erroneously quoted, quoted that there is no ruler uh, uh, but uh, of God. And uh, I would say that this kind of highly personalized perception of uh, power uh, did not come to an end uh, even after the infiltration of uh, Western political uh, uh, concepts uh, that is the appearance of the modern concept of uh, state. And uh, when, for example, uh, the idea of the common good was linked to Gasudarsvo, which from mm. the early 18th century uh, uh, probably can be more or less translated uh, as a, a state. But this highly personalized perception of power is, uh, is with us today uh, in Russia. And one reason of uh, it, I think is linguistics uh, come is, is linguistical uh, because the word gasudarstvo, uh, which nowadays means state, comes from the uh, word gasudar, which mm. in the 15th, 16th, and even 17th century centuries one was uh, one of the most important titles uh, of the Russian rulers, roughly meaning legally unlimited uh, ruler. And since gasudarstvo is derived from that word, that's why this personal uh, connotation. Uh, uh, has been preserved despite of the fact that, of course, Gasudar from the 18th century onwards and the 19th century simply came to mean a uh, ruler uh, in uh, general. The second yes. important issue, what I would like to emphasize, and I go a little bit into details uh, of, of Muscovite political ideology to understand this uh, whole framework. So the second important uh, point uh, that is uh, the unimportance, or I would say indifference attributed to a legal constitutional limitations concerning the ruler's uh, power, because uh, uh, these uh, uh, limitation, according to, I think, mainstream Russian perception, uh, hinder effective uh, government, uh, that is, uh, they hinder uh, the effective functioning of a strong uh, state. And here comes the third point, and the first, the first and the second, of course, are closely uh, uh, connected. And the third point is uh, the importance uh, attributed to the state uh, itself. And this great importance, of course, uh, uh, came uh, from uh, the reign of uh, uh, Peter uh, the Great. And of course, uh, uh, the state 
uh, in the mind of the people most of the time is associated with uh, the person, be it a Tsar, be it a party secretary, or be it a uh, president. So that's why there is an epilogue uh, on the so-called Gasudarstvenos, which is very difficult to translate into Russian. Generally, it is translated as a state, uh, uh, it has one meaning statehood, but uh, of course it has a, a, an emotional component, an, an affectionate aspect towards the state, uh, which can be uh, uh, probably uh, can be probably uh, described as Richard Sakwas translated it as uh, uh, the sentiment uh, of statehood. So um, probably we can discuss that uh, at the end uh, of the uh, interview. But if so I can I go. Okay. Oh, I was gonna, I was just going to say one. One. Let me. So you when you when you discussed just now this issue of the Gasudar and the idea uh, of the person, you start your book in 1462 with Ivan the Ivan the Third when so he when he becomes uh, he's takes this title I suppose of Tsar apparently and so forth. So you begin with him. So is that how you sort of define when you talk? You just mentioned Muscovite political culture. So Muscovite political culture is essentially. The idea of ruler by the by, of individual—that's really what the, it's the main constant. It constitutes. Yes, one point, but uh, but I uh, then I can uh, make some other uh, clarifications. Yes. So uh, not not only just the uh, the highly personal perception of uh, power, uh, but uh, the so to say uh, god dependent interpretation of uh, that power. And uh, as uh, Daniel Rowland has formulated it uh, quite uh, succinctly, uh, when, when he wrote in one of his uh, writings that uh, if, remo if we remove God and uh, 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 if removed God uh, from this whole theoretical uh, uh, framework structure uh, and the relation of God with Tsar and the people, we are left without any coherent set of ideas uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, closely related to that is the simplicity of Muscovite ideology, because uh, it was very uh, easy to justify Muscovite ideology by simply uh, referring and using biblical uh, biblical quotation. The the linchpin of this whole ideology uh, ideology was uh, the sentence coming from the book of Proverbs. Uh, which in the Russian sounds that the Tsar's heart is in God's uh, hand. And this uh, uh, has a continuity from the 16th to the 20th uh, uh, century. And uh, it was really, uh, so to say, the trump card of the, uh, a trump card of the ideology. So this, uh, this is another aspect uh, of, the, of Muscovite uh, perception of uh, power. So the simplicity and uh, the use of uh, almost exclusively this kind of uh, 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 biblical uh, biblical uh, borrowings, uh, besides uh, the one I quoted that the Tsar's heart is in God's uh, hand, of course, uh, uh, the, the, the sentence of St. Paul that there is no power uh, but of God or fear God and honor the Tsar as far as uh, the, the obedience uh, is concerned. Uh, a further very important, uh, very important uh, characteristic of this Muscovite ideology that it was, uh, uh, so to say, image-based. So it operated with different images. 
uh, that is the good ruler was the image of God, uh, uh, like uh, with uh, Joseph of Wallacolumbus, and the bad ruler uh, was the devil uh, in his view. And uh, uh, finally, uh, one or two aspects, uh, Russian Muscovite uh, Russian ideology did not uh, use legal philosophical argumentation uh, regarding the perception of power, and it was uh, the characteristic which changed uh, uh, beginning from Peter uh, the Great. However, I would say the core, this uh, God-given power and this highly personalized power, uh, I mean, this perception uh, really did not change despite of the fact that uh, uh, Western concepts of uh, sovereignty, uh, sovereignty, for example, natural law, uh, social contract, we can probably talk a little about uh, later about them, were integrated into the uh, integrated into the argument. And just one or two, uh, one or two uh, more uh, characteristics to uh, to end uh, on this uh, question. Uh, so as, as Nancy Seals Coleman uh, uh, defined, uh, uh, Muscovy uh, conceived herself as a religious community, as a godly community with the Tsar as it uh, had, who was appointed by God and uh, the Tsar uh, was thought to have owned everything in the realm. So uh, and a, another historian who made a, a very good contribution uh, to that uh, expected Marshal Poe, who mentioned that there was nothing in Moscow which was considered common. So the concept of common good, uh, this is a late 17th century phenomenon which acquired real importance beginning uh, 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 from the early 18th century, from 1702 during Peter. So, uh, so there was, uh, wasn't anything which is considered common. There were no references uh, to things common. Uh, in, 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 in the realm. And another crucial question closely connect, connected to that, uh, what Marshal Poe wrote, that the ruler's duty was uh, not to fill an office, but to be Tsar. And it is uh, again a crucial difference because the concept of office, uh, which in uh, medieval Western literature uh, was embodied in the concept of the crown as an entity which can be detached separated from the person of the ruler and from the power exercised by the ruler, uh, this uh, concept, uh, the concept of office uh, was also missing uh, in uh, Muscovite uh, uh, ideology of uh, uh, power. And finally, uh, which also has, uh, 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 has long-term uh, consequences, uh, the um, basis of this highly personalized uh, or, or, or the commitment, uh, the belief in this highly personalized God-given power uh, nurtured the belief in the good Tsar, also expressed in uh, uh, sayings which were recorded by uh, uh, 16th century uh, Western travelers to Russia, saying such as God knows and the Tsar, 
or the tar judgment is God's uh, judgment. And of course, uh, we all who deal with Russian uh, history know quite well that uh, the idea of the good ruler, that the ruler good, only his advisor are wicked. Uh, this has uh, uh, a long uh, uh, continuity uh, in in Russian uh, political thought. Also, I would say up to the uh, up to the twenty first uh, century, up to uh, our uh, days. Do you know what I, I find? Think interesting, I though? think I'm finished on that question. You know, one thing though, I will comment though that I think it's interesting is that you know some of the older historiography, which I you know you still see repeated because people don't really folk they they don't go pre revolutionary so much is this that you still see repeated in like the idea of institutions that exist in this early period right in Muscovite political culture yeah and yeah. What, what i think what you 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 indicate fairly strongly in the book is that institutional limitations did not exist there is no notion of a common good before that so i think so i think you do you know you're, you're part of that trend which has been existed for some time which is looking far more at that personalized nature of the czar as opposed to these late 19th century you know uh, historians who started to try to imagine that there were institutional limitations in early in early russia which am i am i correct that you don't you don't see them at all yeah, you are. You are right. You are right. One uh, thing I I I, I forget to uh, say uh, concerning the uh, the first introductory part of uh, our uh, conversation. So uh, I myself belong to the so uh, called hard school of. Uh, uh, interpretation of Russian history. Of course, uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, labels that hard school and soft school uh, are used uh, uh, to identify those historians uh, who, uh, I mean, the hard school uh, historian emphasize the differences, the soft school historian uh, emphasizes rather the similarities uh, with uh, the Western uh, uh, Christendom. And you are right, I really, uh, I'm really convinced that these uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, this kind of, um, uh, notions like that uh, the Boyer Duma uh, yeah. institutionally uh, could limit the Tsar or the Zemsky Sabor, that is the assembly of the land, uh, was similar uh, to, uh, for example, to Western assemblies uh, of states. And that's why the Russian uh, Muscovite political structure uh, can be uh, compared to the polity uh, of states uh, existing in the Western Christendom, I think is it's completely false. And uh, if we want to understand differences between uh, Russian thinking and uh, Russian political uh, and Russian uh, political structure, then we have to, I think, uh, emphasize to make make a strong emphasis not on similarities, but rather on the uh, rather on the uh, differences. No, it's very, that's very interesting, and uh, I, I should also add that. Um, when, when you when you discuss you mentioned earlier you in references to you know how they how they viewed their own realm and you referred to Marshall Poe and you referred to others if, if if I can ask a question that I'm trying to think of a proper definition for how you would do this but how would the ruler have viewed the people if that's if, if I can use the word people not not sort of the elite but in general would how would they have viewed them as they in the realm would they have viewed them with any distinction other than perhaps slaves, or would they would they would they view them in, in just property purely as property? 
uh, the Tsar, as, as also Marshall Poe claims, and I, I uh, completely share uh, his view, the Tsar considered uh, himself a, a kind of uh, um, owner, uh, owner of the kingdom, owner of everything, uh, owner of the uh, of, 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 of the state. Uh, let's put it this way: owner of the realm, uh, and uh, owner of everything and everybody uh, in it. Like uh, uh, the saying, which I quote in a big attributed to Ivan the Fourth, that uh, uh, everything belongs uh, to God and uh, uh, a Tsar, uh, for example. So Marshall Poe used, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the nominal universal uh, proprietorship uh, for this for this kind of uh, uh, for this kind of uh, uh, perception, which implied, of course, that uh, everyone had to serve the ruler in one uh, capacity, and depending uh, which uh, uh, function uh, the certain uh, group or a person uh, performed, uh, of course. Uh, the rank of the group or the person uh, depended uh, depended uh, on the nature of the service uh, done uh, nature of the service done uh, to the ruler. You know, one wonders, Andre, if this is a, these kinds of views ever really became fully diluted, or they still. You know, one doesn't want to make too many analogies for long-term historical, event, but nonetheless, this is uh, sort of profoundly interesting for the long-term aspects of Russian political developments, isn't it? Yeah, 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 of course. And uh, if we uh, move to, for example, to uh, images, to uh, to uh, to emblems, uh, uh, for example, when uh, uh, the personal seal of Peter the Great uh, will be uh, uh, hopefully shown, then yes. uh, it, uh, there is a very uh, interesting uh, explanation concerning the relationship between uh, Russia, the state and the uh, ruler, because uh, this... Uh, uh, this image shows uh, uh, Peter hewing out uh, Russia uh, out of a, a rough uh, stone. Uh, so Peter is a mason, and uh, uh, Peter uh, can form uh, the state. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter can carve out the state uh, in the manner as he likes. So I think it is a, a very eloquent example of the relationship between uh, uh, the ruler uh, and the state. So the ruler, the person of the ruler, or the person of the head of the state, again, be it a Tsar party secretary or, or, or president, is always much more important uh, than uh, the state itself. And of course, it comes from that uh, uh, perception, uh, which I tried to uh, highlight the, uh, uh, before, uh, the highly personalized perception and uh, the idea that the ruler is the, so to say, uh, owner of the realm. Uh, what uh, Western legal historians in the medieval and early modern period make a distinction between dominion and imperium. Uh, yeah. That is uh, ownership, and of course, uh, or sovereignty. Uh, uh, let's let's put it uh, in, very uh, simply. And uh, one of the things that you you refer to, and we'll, we're getting to, uh, I think, uh, the, uh, the crucial part of your book on Peter the Great. But I wanted to ask you a little bit 
about westernization which you referred to uh, quite a bit you know in because so much of the so older soviet historiography of course did not want to deal with westernization they wanted to deal more with connections rather than influence but your book is rich on influence as well and what i wanted to ask you a little bit about the petrine the 17th century influence of western political views and here you refer to some of the uh, some Ukrainians as the influence of Ukrainian intellectuals in the 17th century. Could you mention that, discuss that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, the first, um, so I wouldn't say the wave, but the first uh, signs of uh, uh, Westernization and Westernization uh, now is uh, regarding the mid 17th century is uh, used in a very very broad uh, manner. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for a short time, it uh, did not have an impact on uh, uh, thought and power or, or political ideas, uh, uh, so to say. So uh, these first uh, uh, steps of Westernization uh, was connected with uh, mainly with the church reform of Patriarch uh, Nikon or Nikon, uh, to use the English uh, uh, pronunciation. Mm -hmm. And uh, even before the reform, uh, which began in 1653, even uh, before that reform, for example, the most important uh, Ukrainian figure, Yepifany Slavinetsky, uh, who came to Moscow in 1649, and before he came from uh, uh, Kiev, and uh, uh, while uh, he was in Kiev, he uh, uh, compiled a Latin Slavonic, that is Ukrainian uh, dictionary, which he revised uh, in Moscow in 1650. And uh, of course, it uh, could have an influence on the uh, terminology. But the first real, uh, uh, I would say, um, sign of Westernization was an une unexpected or unforeseen consequence uh, of the church reform connected with uh, Nikon when uh, Patriarch Nikon and Alexis came to into conflict with each other uh, beginning from uh, 1658 mm -hmm. and that was the time uh, that was the time when uh, for example the theory of two powers uh, which in uh, Western Christendom uh, a debate between the uh, sacerdotium and the regnum, that is a priesthood and kingship, in 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 Nyquist's formulation, Svishenstatoitsarstvo, uh, that is the the priesthood and the tsardom. So the theory of two powers uh, and the discussion uh, of the relation between the secular power and the spiritual to uh, one another, uh, that was really one uh, important uh, step, and it was the time. When uh, uh, or it was a time which affected uh, a kind of uh, secularization of the uh, meaning of the word gosudars, for which at that time it cannot really be translated as a state, but rather uh, than a realm. And besides uh, him, what uh, a very important figure uh, who was not a Ukrainian but uh, a white Russian, Simeon Palotsky, who came uh, to Moscow in the 1660s. Uh, and became the tutor of Tsar Alexis' uh, uh, children. And uh, he was uh, probably the first man in Russia to make a distinction uh, uh, between the tyrant and, 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 and the lawful ruler on the basis of uh, Aristotle. Uh, when he wrote in uh, one of his verses that uh, if you want to understand what the difference is between the tyrant and the Tsar, 
you have to read Aristotle uh, because no. uh, the, 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 the lawful ruler, the Tsar, uh, uh, serves the common good, why the tyrant uh, just take, uh, takes care of his own uh, interest. However, these, uh, uh, these uh, uh, Western inflation of some Western ideas was very much connected to individuals. Uh, and uh, this uh, kind of westernization was not, so to say, institutionalized, which would, I would say, come uh, with Peter the Great uh, and uh, in a much more, in a much more massive scale, uh, of course. When, you know, uh, and I, I'm pulling my history here to try to get details on it, but what influence do you think that the Slavo-Greco-Latin Academy had on thinking at that time? Did it have any influence beyond the academy walls itself? It's very difficult. I didn't, uh, I didn't deal with the question, uh, to be honest, and very difficult, uh, very difficult to, um, to trace uh, the impact or the uh, influence. So um, I, would rather, I would rather leave it to uh, these two uh, specialists uh, to answer that question. And, and, I, and I, that's, a good, that's a good answer because I don't th I'm not sure there is an easy answer on that, on that one because I've, I've seen some of the studies. I was just interested in because I think it's been inflated. Some of it, like many of these things that you note that like we talked about with the institutions of Muscovite power, some of the influences may have been exaggerated by later historians as well. And that's why it's interesting for corrective. Connected with Westernization, obviously a crucial part of your book, it's it's the title, it's a thrust of your book, is Peter the Great's reign, the reign of Peter the Great, as reassessing his, his influence. And what I'd like to know about Peter the Great is it's, you know, and this is a controversial thing in, in among Muscovite and 18th century historians is, uh, and correct me if I'm reading your your the thrust of your arguments, but you do see Peter the Great's reign, roughly 1700 to 1725, as representing a decisive shift, a revolution, if you will, in Russian political and cultural life. Please discuss this idea of sort of Petrine revolutions in terms of their state, or political, political, political ideology, and their long-term influence. So it's really, you know, tell me what you're trying to say about Peter the Great. Peter the Great's influence. Okay, so I think it is important uh, uh, to side with regard uh, to Peter, especially uh, the second half of his reign that is beginning roughly on uh, 1700, uh, not just to emphasize the infiltration of Western ideas, uh, but uh, parallel to say some uh, thing, to say some words on the reforms of uh, the institutions of uh, government, because I think uh, these two uh, phenomena are closely uh, connected. Just let me mention uh, uh, some important and of course well-known uh, well effects. So uh, the, uh, with regard to the reforms of the institutions as government, so the creation of the Senate uh, in 1711, then uh, later, uh, the creation of uh, uh, colleges, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, for example, the establishment of permanent embassies uh, uh, abroad, 
Uh, all these, I think, uh, point uh, to the fact that the, so to say, statist or state-like characteristic of the realm of Moscowskoye Gasudars, or Moscowite realm, became more uh, became more uh, marked. And uh, uh, also in, very important was the abolition of the patriarchate in 1721, uh, 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 which uh, had uh, a consequence not only with regard uh, uh, to the balance between uh, the church and the uh, Tsar, we can say that uh, from an unequal balance which existed before Peter, uh, so there was a decisive shift to a, a almost total control of the state uh, over the church uh, uh, as a result of the abolition of the patriarchate and the introduction of the Holy uh, Synod. But uh, uh, as uh, Boris Uspensky uh, showed quite clearly that he, even this uh, had a consequence because when uh, in the same year, in 1721, Peter took the title Atyatsa Tietjest, the father of the fatherland, uh, it uh, was interpreted uh, in the Russian context differently because Atyatsa Tietjestva previously was first of all uh, the title used by the patriarch. And since after 1721, there was no patriarch and Peter yeah. took this title, that's why the patriarch's charisma uh, was even transferred and uh, uh, contributed to the sacralization uh, of the uh, ruler. So uh, it was a kind of uh, ambivalent, uh, ambivalent effect uh, as a result of uh, this. But moving to the new conceptual, conceptual language, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I do not say uh, that uh, there was nothing before Peter, and I try to argue in a book that there were certain important steps with regard mm -hmm. uh, to the acquisition of this new conceptual language. For example, the smuta by uh, no means, uh, the smuta, uh, no doubt, sorry, no doubt contributed uh, to uh, a kind of detachment uh, of the person of the ruler from Gasudarsu, because uh, for a while there was uh, an, an interregnum. And also uh, from the 1660s to the 1690s, there was a kind of, uh, uh, there's a kind of uh, uh, decades of fermentation as uh, uh, Dan Roland uh, called it when, for example, such uh, phrases that affairs of the, uh, of the state or, or the use of the word subject uh, became uh, more uh, frequent. But from 1700 uh, onwards, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, the scale uh, was very different. And uh, not only, uh, we should not, uh, previously, most of the authors concentrated on, uh, mainly on political vocabulary, with the increased use of Gasudarsvo, mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, uh, of course, uh, almost uh, obligatory, uh, the phrase of Petrine decrees was uh, the, the common the common good or common uh, utility, but very important uh, was the visual language. Uh, the visual language, uh, because uh, from uh, that time on, uh, pagan antique uh, uh, pagan antique uh, imagery, uh, mythology, antique mythology help in the, so to say, uh, in the apotheosis of the ruler, because Peter was compared to Mars and Hercules. 
Uh, however, previously, uh, ancient mythology was banned by the uh, Orthodox Church. So it was one uh, very important uh, novelty. And uh, to connect uh, the change in the language of political vocabulary and uh, to some extent the detachment of the person of the ruler from uh, Gasudarsvo, uh, these, uh, so to say, uh, images and, and pagan images in a way they were understood in uh, Western Christendom, they uh, helped to conceptualize uh, rulership uh, uh, detached from the person of the ruler. And uh, now I would like uh, you to show uh, mm -hmm. the image of, uh, uh, it is on page uh, 42. And uh, it is uh, the fr frontispiece, the frontispiece of the symbol book of Peter uh, the Great. And uh, let me go back here a little bit, page 42. And yeah, for, I'm, I'm hoping all of our readers, will, our listeners will be able to see this, uh, but we're going to give a, a wonderful description in any case. Let me just get to that in a second. Are you able to see this, Andre? Yes, yes, yeah, I can let see. Me, let me get to that in a second. Yeah, okay, just, it's moving, fine. Okay, yeah. It somehow went bad. Let's see, page 42 and of... Okay. Just a little bit. Yeah. And with the, okay, great. Oh, yep. And give it give her a physical description as well of, of, of this. Okay, of, yes. Of, this is the this is the um, the cast of Peter's seal, uh, which I mentioned before. So it was Peter's personal uh, seal. And this is uh uh, and this describes uh, what I've uh, tried to uh, explain that uh, Peter as a mason hewing out Russia of a rough stone and uh, uh, in a form of a female uh, figure. Uh, the woman is half formed, uh, the woman is crowned, uh, holding a, a scepter in one hand and, and an orb uh, in the other. Uh, above, uh, and, and of course, uh, this is the figure of Russia. And by the way, the female personification of the community or of the state, which was uh, at that time very characteristic uh, of uh, uh, Western European uh, visual political thought, came to Russia just with Peter uh, the Great. And this is one of the very first images where uh, Russia uh, is uh, uh, allegorically personified as a as a female figure. Uh, above the head, there is of course a radiating triangle. Uh, it can't can't be seen quite well, but uh, in the triangle, the name of uh, God uh, is written in Hebrew, and uh, uh, and on the rim we can uh, we can uh, read the adjuvante in Latin, which means that with the help, and of course, putting together with the help, uh, and of course, the radiating triangle uh, symbolizing God, uh, the whole, the message of this, uh, the message of this personal sea is that uh, Peter, with God's help, with God's providence, uh, so to say, uh, uh, hewing Russia out uh, of the stone, uh, or uh, in other ways, uh, making Russia in accordance uh, with uh, his intention, how Russia uh, should uh, look like. You know, so, it's, and it's, by it's, the, it's, oh, I was going to interrupt and say, one, it's interesting that so many of these 18th century people who used to study 
Freemasonry in Russia often looked at, you know, because the symbol was polishing the rough stone, right? Russia. As, yes, as yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That is, a, yeah. And Robert Collis has written a very good yeah. book and article uh, on that. Yes, uh, there are Masonic, there are Masonic symbols uh, in it, and you are, you are right. You are right. And one, and one interesting thing with regard to uh, pagan mythology, uh, and it will be connected, and it will connect us uh, uh, to the next uh, image. That uh, this is the other adaptation of the ancient story of uh, Pygmalion and Galatea. And uh, uh, this uh, image, this Pygmalion and Galatea, uh, is included in the book, the frontispiece of which we can see uh, here. Okay, fine, 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 okay. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, what uh, is the most interesting uh, from this uh, point of view, is uh, below the, uh, the figure of uh, uh, Peter, below the portrait of Peter the Greek, uh, uh, showing in a medallion of uh, Hercules uh, holding the globe. And it's very important because uh, holding the globe uh, by Hercules, uh, it was taken over from uh, Western political symbolism and it was uh, the symbol of rulership as uh, such. And there are uh, inscriptions above uh, each of these medallions in Latin and uh, Russian. And in this case, um, the uh, in this case, the inscription goes that uh, the burden is uh, the burden is not equal to the strength. That is uh, that is uh, the strength. That is the capacity uh, to rule Russia. Uh, that is, uh, the qualities of Peter are much uh, higher, are much uh, uh, greater than the burden of ruling that he can bear, uh, so to say, uh, this task and to perform uh, his duty. And uh, uh, as I mentioned, Hercules uh, uh, and Mars, but especially Hercules, one uh, was one of the most important uh, mythological figures uh, associated with uh, Peter the Great, which was uh, anyway uh, a commonplace uh, at that time in Western uh, in Western political uh, iconography. And how widely distributed were these images? Sorry, well, these images were distributed. Okay, this is this is a front this is a frontispiece uh, yes. uh, to the book, uh, and uh, uh, the book was printed uh, in Amsterdam, and later mm -hmm. Russian edition. Uh, it, it was printed in 1745, and later during Peter's reign, a Russian, uh, uh, I mean, an edition in Russia uh, was also there. So there was a second uh, edition of this book, and uh, uh, it was. Uh, sent out to uh, those people who were responsible in spreading the new, uh, so to say, iconography, because it contained, uh, it is a, a quite a long book, and it contained uh, images which uh, could be used for uh, for different purpose. And this uh, uh, this uh, edition, the 17 uh, edition, was also sent uh, to abroad, and uh, of course, uh, the aim of Peter uh, was to show himself uh, as part of uh, European crown heads, uh, as part of a European club, uh, uh, so to say. Andre, this is a, a large, sort of a large question. It's a little peripheral, so you can you can uh, pass it. But the the influences on Peter the Great for this shift in political culture 
how would you pinpoint the like what were the decisive influences who what influenced peter to make these shifts and the people are in his court uh, i mean uh, who were responsible for this yes. kind of shift yeah yeah the most uh, okay so uh, of course we have to uh, mention first of all the name of uh, the Felfan uh, Prokopovich, who uh, was uh, one of the most uh, uh, talented and most educated uh, men uh, in Peter in uh, Peter's uh, retinue. Uh, his life is uh, uh, very interesting, but I, I would just mention uh, some uh, uh, important posts he filled. So uh, he was summoned by Peter uh, to the new capital, St. Peter's, where being 1716. Uh, he was a monk later, he was ordained uh, a Bishop of Skoven uh, Narva. And uh, when uh, the Holy Synod was established, uh, he became the vice president of the Synod. And by the way, he was the person who uh, wrote the spiritual regulation, the document mm -hmm. uh, which uh, for uh, centuries uh, determined uh, the functioning of, uh, of the church. And of course, he was uh, behind very, he was very much behind uh, the abolition of the uh, uh, patriarchate uh, itself. Uh, his um, contribution to the new ideology was immense, I would say, and the most important uh, document of this was uh, entitled The Justice of the Monarch's Will in Designating the Heir of His State, uh, mm -hmm. which was written in 1722 uh, to justify Peter's uh, uh, statute on, uh, statute on uh, uh, succession. And uh, uh, the great Russian historian Kluchevsky uh, called this work the small encyclopedia of Russian uh, state law. Uh, it may not be an exaggeration because it contained, uh, uh, for example, uh, 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 concepts which were almost completely or completely unknown in Russia. Among them, for example, uh, we can uh, here read in this work the definition of sovereignty relying on uh, Hugo Grotius and even quoting mm -hmm. uh, Hugo Grotius. For example, uh, the different forms of government which were not really discussed in Russia, that is monarchy, aristocracy, democracy, uh, uh, what are the advantages of disadvantages of different forms of government, and also uh, the, uh, introduce the idea of uh, uh, in quotation on the social contract, uh, that is a there is a contract between the people and uh, the uh, ruler. But uh, very important that uh, in every uh, in every concept there is a twist, uh, uh, so to say. So, uh, for example, the contract or uh, of government or social contract uh, uh, for him. Uh, was that uh, although uh, uh, the first ruler uh, was elected by the people, uh, nevertheless the whole uh, the whole scene uh, took place under uh, the providence of God. So since it was overseen by God, uh, God was for him the real uh, uh, source of uh, power, and consequently, uh, consequently the people uh, could not, uh, of course, uh, repeal uh, uh, this contract under any circumstances. So what is important to emphasize that he included, he, he uh, adapted, uh, not so much adopted, but adapted uh, Western uh, concepts, for example, uh, sovereignty, 
or social contract, but used them in a way which would strengthen the ruler's position. Uh, and he uh, didn't say anything uh, uh, concerning the subject's rights or the limits uh, on uh, the ruler's part. So there was no mention of the rights uh, of the uh, subjects. And very important that uh, uh, he emphasized unconditional obedience. Uh, while previously, uh, for example, in the 16th century, so I, I mentioned the name of uh, Joseph of Volokolomsk, uh, who uh, mentioned that uh, if, if there is a ruler uh, who uh, commits unbelief or blasphemy, that you should not obey such a ruler. But what does the sentence uh, should not obey mean? Of course, it, it was left uh, if she did not uh, really... Uh, did not really explain uh, what the what the uh, uh, believers could do or or, or not do. However, uh, uh, the emphasis on obedience uh, in uh, the work of uh, uh, Prokopovich was uh, really coming close to a, a, a total uh, a total power. And uh, in this way, in this way. Of, uh, again, the new ideology uh, has this ambivalence. For example, Western notions were used, like, for example, natural law, sovereignty, social contract, but they were used in a way which uh, were designed to uh, strengthen the ruler uh, authority and uh, emphasize unconditional obedience uh, to the ruler. And the third uh, important point, uh, he was uh, the person and uh, uh, it, is, it was one of the subjects of the book of uh, 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 Professor Richard Wortman, which I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that uh, uh, the, so to say, uh, integrity of the state, Tselos uh, Gasudarstva, appears in this work, and uh, uh, he used it uh, in a way uh, that uh, uh, autocratic power and territorial unity uh, are uh, mutually dependent uh, elements, and uh, if either of them is uh, affected in any way, it would lead uh, to a, a disaster, it would lead to a catastrophe. And that's why uh, he is considered, so to say, the father of the Russian state uh, narrative by emphasizing the close connection between territorial integrity of the empire on the one hand and the autocracy as the only feasible form of government uh, for Russia, which was taken up in the 18th century by historians like Tatyshev and later in the 19th century by uh, Karamzin. So you, unity is 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 something that shifts dramatically, and the idea, the term, the term that you use throughout of, of unity, which becomes more important, it this is the this is also a dramatic change with Peter the Great, obviously, right? Yes, 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 sure. And and, right. and one other term that you that I'd like to sort of unpack just a little bit because we've referred to it a few times, the common good. Yes. How does this shift during the Petrine period and afterward? Okay, so the, the, the common good, of course, uh, which was impro, uh, employed by uh, Peter, and as I mentioned, uh, besides Gasudars was yes. uh, always uh, a kind of uh, mandatory reference uh, in the preamble of the uh, uh, decrees. Uh, most of the time in Peter's reign, I would say, as I write in the book, was rather a lip service, uh, so to say, to uh, look 
uh, to look more European. Uh, however, however, in the long run, it contributed uh, to the fact that by the mid uh, 18th century, or definitely uh, during the reign of Catherine uh, the Great, uh, the Western uh, concept of the state, uh, in a sense that the state uh, uh, is a set of uh, rules, uh, which is not only independent of the uh, ruler, but stands above uh, the ruler. And it was uh, possible, for example, to uh, uh, to use uh, the concept, the modern concept of state uh, in a way uh, to oppose uh, the interest of the state uh, to the interest of the uh, ruler. So in the long run, it contributed uh, to the emergence of the modern uh, concept of uh, the state uh, in Russia. Uh, uh, however, uh, that there was a small circle, uh, I would say, who understood the state uh, in that way, not only the 18th, but only the 19th uh, century. Some, there are some remarkable examples, like uh, in the 19th century, Speransky, uh, uh, for instance. Uh, but uh, because of uh, the linguistic uh, link or connection between Gasudar and Gasudarsvo, uh, it uh, really hindered. It really hindered the, uh, so to say, full reception. That's that's the uh, the expression I was looking for. The full reception of uh, the Western concept uh, of the state. Yeah, that, and that makes that makes perfect sense. You know, before I get uh to my last question i i wanted to you you want we we discussed a little earlier this notion of emblems and projection of power is there anything that you wanted to include before we get to my last question no 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 that's uh i think uh yeah i think we covered more or less yeah okay my last question deals with uh and it's your it's your epilogue but it covers much of you know it sort of nicely summarizes your book and this is, you know, and you you don't have to dwell so much on contemporary politics because your book isn't really it's about but it's it's wonderful in terms of analogy. You mentioned yeah. in your epilogue the preamble to the Constitution, 1993 Constitution, of course, is particularly illuminating as it refers to the historical tradition of Russian statehood. Furthermore, it contains those terms which became the key issues of Russian political rhetoric under Peter the Great. You know the Trinity of Gazudarsvara, Rasiya, or Tetchestva, which came to be standard references in Petrine sources. But, and I think you you know you you say that these words acquired it's not just these words, but a semi-sacral or a sacral meaning in Russian political life over the long term. Can you discuss a little bit that that aspect? Yes, it is of course uh, it concerns. Uh, the term which I mentioned, the Gasudarstvennost, uh, which can be translated as statehood or also uh, the statism or stateness or a kind of uh, sentiment of statehood. So it has mm -hmm. uh, it has at least two uh, at least two uh, meanings, and. Uh, uh, the Tsilos Gasudar, so that is integrity of the state, uh, is one of the crucial cores uh, of uh, uh, this uh, phenomenon that we call uh, the Gasudar Svenos. Because um, I traced it in uh, the 1993 uh, uh, Constitution of the Rus Russian uh, Federation, which was amended many times uh, uh, since then. 
And uh, it is very interesting uh, to uh, analyze and trace each and every uh, uh, instance where there is a reference to Tselos Gasudarsva. Uh, uh, and uh, what is of crucial importance that, uh, for example, uh, there is even a, uh, there is even a, a, an uh, article which makes the duty of the president's uh, duty of the president uh, to protect uh, not only the constitution of the R Russian Federation, but I quote it, its independence and state integrity. Uh, uh, that is государство That is mm -hmm. the uh, that is the term uh, which is uh, used, and uh, this. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Integrity of the state, Celos Gasudarsva, uh, figures in many uh, uh, speeches uh, of uh, Putin after he became uh, <coughs> after he became president uh, for the first time, and it uh, uh, comes or it is included in his famous uh, 1999, uh, so to say, Millennium uh, Manifesto, and. Uh, <coughs> This manifesto is uh, very interesting because uh, besides using this term, uh, the Tselos, the Tselos Gasudarsva, it gives four uh, characteristics of uh, what he called the Russian idea. And uh, uh, I just mentioned two, uh, he mentions patriotism, social solidarity, but the two uh, most important things for us uh, one is Dzerzhavnost, which can be translated as a greatness of Russia, which refers to the uh, uh, great or west territory of uh, uh, the Russian uh, Federation, and of course, of Russia being a great power. And uh, the most important, and I can, I think, <laughs> conclude on that, uh, he uses uh, the, the word государственничество, which is almost untranslatable into uh, English, and uh, probably, as uh, as I mentioned, Richard Sakwa's sentiment of state uh, sentiment of statehood uh, would give back the meaning. But uh, let me just um, uh, quote uh, a few lines uh, what Putin understood uh, under statism, and it will elucidate, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. the whole concept uh, of the book. And uh, uh, so it reads as follows. So statism, it will not happen soon, if it ever happens at all, that Russia will become the second edition of, say, the US or Britain, in which liberal values have deep historic tradition. Our state, its institutions and structures have always played an exceptionally important role in the life of the country and its people. For a Russian, a strong state is not an anomaly. It is not something which should be fought with. Quite the contrary, it is the source and guarantor of order, the initiator and main driving force of uh, any uh, chain. And modern Russian society doesn't identify a strong and effective state with a totalitarian one. So that's the end of the uh, quote. What is important for us uh, the strong state, the emphasis on the role of the state, as uh, we could read here, the guarantor of order, initiator uh, of change, uh, which is uh, nothing else, I would think, the replacement uh, of the term state uh, with that of the good Tsar. So the good Tsar, who is the guarantor of order and the initiator uh, of uh, uh, all uh, changes uh, in the state. And you can see that, you know, not to pull, push the analogy too far, but you can see if any challenges to this unity or, and, and 
the power of the of the ruler is can be seen as it is in, to, in many senses as leading to chaos and to to treason, right? So in that sense, what and yes, you know what I think, yes. and you yeah, know what yeah, I find okay. you, you conclude your book, which I think is wonderful because you you've just touched on it. You conclude with this idea that you hope to somehow capture the mentality of the political culture. Because yes, it's really yes. it's that's that's a difficult thing to do, but it's absolutely crucial, right? Because otherwise, it becomes just description rather than analysis. And do you th so at the end, do you think that you've captured the the mentality of of Russian political culture well? Uh, I hope so, but it uh, remains to the reader to decide, of course. <laughs> After... I, 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 I'm persuaded. I think it's very persuasive in the long jury. I think it's not uh, as again you people can make too you know analogies too far, but I think this does give a wonderful description of what Muscovite political culture was, how it shifts toward the Petrine period, key terms that have become sacral over time, and I think what's missing in many of the counts, which wasn't missing in yours, is also the comparative aspect, which is often ignored. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Mariach. Again, thank let, you for the questions and the invitation. <laughs> let me just say that, uh, once again, the book is Russian Notions of Power and State in a European Perspective, uh, Professor Andrzej Sashomi from University of Pech. And it, it's a one, it just was issued last year. And I strongly recommend it to our listeners to move from listeners to viewers. And thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. Bye-bye.